Reveille, reveille, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah, Friday. Get it. Get that. Get whatever the hell you want. This is the best damn combat sports show Period. It's Morning Combat, and it's back with a bang Friday, January 28th, 2022. Yes, don't dead wrong me on this Friday. I know I said 21 last episode, but Brian Campbell back at it, the BBC, with that BDE. Just call me the American Alpha, but uh, you know what I'm here to do. I am here to remind Luke Thomas of the mess he left when he went away on vacation. But luckily, to clean that up a little bit, we have CBS Sports' own... The Persian Prince of MMA, the pride of Vancouver, British Columbia, Shaquille Majorie of French Origine, my friend, back for round number two. Thank you for joining us. How you feeling on this winter day? Hear ye, hear ye, roll out the red carpet, feed me some grapes. The Prince of Persia is back on wow. Morning Combat. How about them bars, Luke Thomas? Look at this. Look at this. Dropping bars, cutting promos. Uh, Shaq, of course, if you're new to this, these parts, uh, Shaquille Majori of CBS Sports now, uh, big-time combat sports guy, been enjoying all of your, your interviews. You, you hit that wrestling world hard. You know that's going to uh, irritate the audience of this show. Well, no one more so than Luke Thomas. But, hey, you know, you got to get your traction where you can. And uh, I don't know, man. The pro wrestling fans took to me. So Yeah, yeah. More cushion for the pushing, I think, is is the weirdest thing I can come up with right now. Uh, we're back at it, though, setting the weekend up. Bellator will return this Saturday night. And speaking of that, uh, Showtime, the great label that pays us, you can get 30 free days of Showtime right now why don't you go to showtime.com you can check out bader moldovsky this weekend showtime championship boxing ray donovan movies billions uh the jfk doc that mikey was all into i mean there's so much good shit on that showtime app including your boy bc calling showbox february 18th so get your 30 days free now and also you know you want to talk about merch Shaq, did they send you any merch for being part of the family now i mean not yet man i I didn't even get a paramount plus subscription yet brandon wise (laughs) keeps telling me it's coming but i dude i can't get merch i can't get my free services luke you have to you have to pull teeth from luke thomas to get my interview clips shamelessly promoted on this show. Yes. And so, you know, that's karma. Now you get an hour and a half of me. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Uh, luckily, this show is still free, but you can get your own merch at show. Uh, sorry, morningcombat.store, our great website. Look, drug rugs are back for a limited time. We've got the new, uh, plenty new lines out there. If you like Luke Thomas and Skulls, there's a lot of new stuff for you. Check the, all that out. Uh, RJ will be there to take your credit card information. Uh, don't miss it, okay? Uh, but whoa, whoa! We got a little little note here from the uh, producer. See, Manich Manich refused to come on camera like Gaff was willing to on Wednesday. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah, drug rugs are selling here and there. Okay, yeah, from R.J. Dunkelmaker. Are, yeah, they're, they're moving. The drug rugs are moving. So check that on out. Morning Combat dot store. Uh, Shaq, not going to waste anybody's time with anything else because I can't remember what else there was to throw to. Uh, oh, uh, what yeah, I was going to say the sports podcast awards, man. How about sports podcast awards? How about an award-winning Morning Combat doubling down on itself? We can. We, as a family here, listeners and hosts alike, if you go to sportspodcastawards.com and you love yourself some MK, why don't you vote for us for Best Combat Sports Show 2021. 
Uh, It's USA versus Canada, all right? Us against Ariel in this one, uh, among many others. Chris Jericho as well, so it's it's plenty. It's like the 2002 gold medal hockey game all over again. Uh, Or maybe that was 2008. Or maybe that was 12. You know, I'm really getting old. Shaq, where do you think you fit in on the uh, on the Canadian combat sports power rankings? Right power now? Like, rankings? More oh, Ronaldo number one with a bullet. Some people love them, some Ariel. How about my guy, Bronstetter, right? You're, you're somewhere. Uh, man, Bro- Bronstetter, uh, I would have had him ranked much higher up until his uh, crypto takes on Twitter last week. He's He took some L's from people in this industry, but uh, I love me some Aaron Bronstetter, so I'll... I'll I've got work to do. I've got work. Friend of the program. And if you're a female on a plane, you probably love yourself some Mike Bone. Just the same. All right. Shenanigans behind us. We got a fun show. We're going to hit the big topic, set the stage for the weekend. Also, to end the show, in extended DMs from Donk's edition. I know we held out on Monday and Wednesday to load up today. Shaq, BC, we're going to go after it. Your your questions answered. Uh, It's pretty much all MMA, so don't get nervous that we're going to drop any uh, pro wrestling in there. But let's get to the topic at hand in the big fight is this Saturday night. Bellator 273 invading Phoenix, Arizona, which just happens to be the home of one Ryan Bader, your heavyweight champion under the Bellator banner. And we have yet another back-to-back weeks MMA heavyweight title unification as interim belt holder Valentin Moldovsky comes in. Shaq, 10 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. This goes down. Uh, pretty big deal here. But we talked about narratives on Wednesday. To me, that you know, big narrative was is 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 as much as we know, Valentin Moldovsky is coming. Is Ryan Bader going? Thirty-eight years old, two defeats in his last three, both by convincing stoppage, including uh, just under a minute there against Corey Anderson in the uh, World Grand Prix semifinals. Uh, how much is the status of Ryan Bader in your eyes? What we're really tuning in to see here Saturday night. Fortunately for Ryan Bader, uh, we know that power is the last thing to go. We also know that these heavyweights can generally, uh, you know, extend their careers, which is kind of ironic considering the damage that they take. I I would say that Ryan Bader's home for the foreseeable future is at heavyweight. Now, if he loses to Valentin Moldovsky, what does he want, right? Because I've heard sort of behind the scenes murmurs of, uh, you know, should he retire? Should he not? I had a great talk once with Sean Sheehan about this in the lead up to the Anderson Silva Uriah Hall fight. What are you fighting for? If your only goal is to be the world champ, and if Ryan Bader comes out and, and loses convincingly, well, then it's time to reconsider what you want to do. But we'll talk another guy on that card, Benson Henderson. He seems prepared to fight without a world title in the mix. And so I think Ryan Bader's career will last as long as he is willing to concede what he wants. He's already said that light heavyweight now is no longer really a goal for him. I think he's still very competitive with most of the heavyweights because a lot of the heavyweights in Bellator aren't the complete athletes we're seeing in the UFC like Cyril Gann or Francis Ngannou, right? These are guys who are still kind of plotting, don't have terrific movement. And that's something that I think Ryan Bader, who is for the most part a career light heavyweight, can still exploit. He's got the power, he's got the speed advantage, but as guys in that heavyweight division start showing that well-roundedness that we're seeing in the UFC, maybe that's Moldovsky, maybe it's not, you know, Bader's time, Bader's going to have a harder and harder time as we go, but I think he's still got a good shot at heavyweight. You know, it's tough to know how much mileage is on there. There's a couple... 
you know, there's always ways you can look at a guy's recent run and try to frame it negatively or positively. And for Bader, it's like, okay, two losses in the last three, but against super elite competition, yeah. both at 205 pounds, which to what you're saying is his future more at heavier 205. That might explain that. I think just the same, though, when you look at what he's done, you can be just as cynical. It's like, okay, he had that really nice seven-fight win streak, which ended his UFC run, overlapped into his free agent move to Bellator, in which he reinvented himself to division champion. But do you look back and say, okay, the reinvention wins for the most part are against aging fighters, King Mo, Matt Mitrione, Fedor Emelianenko, Lyoto Machida. But when he fights guys in their prime who are coming, is he going the other way? Let, let's pause quickly and throw to a chat you had with him ahead of this fight, which more directly looks at what is uh, Bader fighting for? What does his future look like entering this title unification bout? heavyweight moving forward especially as the weight cut becomes harder or do you still have an interest in competing at 205 yeah i mean right now my sole focus is on heavyweight i don't see any reason to go down to light heavyweight you know i lost that light heavyweight title um i was planning on staying at heavyweight you know but you know i'm open to new things cool things and they they had that uh the grand prix instead of so i'm like oh, why not you know it could just be a little gravy on the top you know why not go try to try to win that too you know um, so now that I'm just at heavyweight, I kind of, I see myself kind of focusing on just heavyweight. All right. Well, just heavyweight. I, I look at 38 being as quick as he is, as you mentioned, the, the wrestling ability, the stamina, he's a, a much better fighter against the matchmaking on the heavyweight side than light heavyweight. Valentin Moldovsky is the betting favor coming in. He's going to be a tough test, but to sort of close on where we can guess Bader is, I like what he said about the Nemkov loss originally after it happened. He was honest. He said, you know, I had a bad training camp. There was a lot of personal stuff going on. I wasn't who I was supposed to be mentally coming in there. And, you know, he fought an elite guy, arguably the best light heavyweight in the world, and he got taken care of. Shaq, how do we explain the Corey Anderson loss, though? Is it just that, you know, his days at 205 are over now? Uh, because Corey Anderson's not a monster finisher, at least not in the in the one-punch variety one minute into the first round. That's where my big fear of some fighters, when they're at this age, when the chin goes, it's gone. Do you, can you look at that Corey Anderson loss and, and still retain confidence heading into this one? Uh, I think Johnny Walker would disagree with your assessment of Corey Anderson, but I, I know what you're saying. Generally speaking, you know, we're not seeing a, a lot of one-punch KOs from the guy on the feet. Uh, you know, Bader's never had the best, best chin at these upper weight classes. Uh, what you said earlier about sort of the aging names, I think that's ultimately what's going to benefit Bader at heavyweight. Valentin Moldovsky is definitely a step towards sort of those well-rounded, younger, more technical heavyweights that we're looking for, but I'm not 100% certain if he's the guy. The benefit I see in Bader right now is I think he's more well-rounded than a lot of the guys in that weight class, and at 38 years old, um, if he's only got a few years left anyway, I have a hunch he might be able to ride it out, but I'd like to think that his speed will help sort of protect him from absorbing a lot of blows at heavyweight, but... I mean, maybe Valentin deserves to be the betting favorite, and he is the real deal. I was a little concerned, and as was Bader, with sort of his early performance against Linton Vassell. Like, Linton was having a good couple of uh, rounds, especially with the wrestling. So, 
I see that as an avenue that Ryan Bader can exploit. I know that's an avenue he thinks that he can exploit. He has to be conscious of taking damage, but I think he can do it with his speed advantage. So as we look at DraftKings setting the line for this one, plus 185, the champion Ryan Bader as the underdog, minus 225, Moldovsky as the favorite. If you're new to sort of uh, the elite heavyweight area in Bellator and don't know Moldovsky, 29 years old, from Ukraine, but came to be as this level of an elite fighter uh, in Mother Russia with Team Fedor and in the legend Emelianenko in his corner as lead trainer, uh, five and zero since coming to Bellator. Actually, six and zero, including that interim title win over Timothy Johnson, where he showed you what Moldovsky does. Not a big finisher, doesn't have a TKO finish uh, under the or knockout under the Bellator banner, but pushes a good pace, is aggressive, is versatile. But what you mentioned about Bader's potential advantage on the ground, sometimes when two very good wrestlers come together, as we know, or oftentimes the wrestling can cancel each other out and then you get Usman versus Covington one and it's who can be the better striker. If it's on the feet and it turns into striking only, you know, you could talk yourself into an, a Bader advantage there, even with the recent knockout losses, because he is a, a, a better pure boxer than Moldovsky. But do you get the sense, wrestling-wise, that it will be Bader controlling those terms or they will be canceling each other out? How do you sort of gauge that? Because Moldovsky's no stranger to the ground. I'm, I'm going to give the edge to Ryan Bader. He had, a, he had a big-time wrestling background. It's something he relied on for a long time in the UFC, and he still relies on when uh, you know while he's working on sort of bringing his boxing up to snuff. Maybe I'm selling Valentin short, but... I think I'm a little more confident in Bader going into this fight than I think a lot of other people are. All right, that's fair. Uh, as we look at it in terms of uh, what's at stake, obviously unifying the title. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, when you look at the future, uh, before we get into the final predictions here, this division, I wouldn't call it deep, right? You know, there, there's there's Czech Congos lingering around, which sort of sums it up. Um do you see a, a that guy's next situation as we sort of look at the Bellator heavyweight rankings in terms of, you know, what's at stake in the future besides putting the, the, the full heavyweight title back together? I mean, I hate to say, considering I'm on that rankings panel, I should probably know, but nothing stands out. And I mean, dude, I don't know if you're one of those guilty parties, but I, I remember seeing yes. people um, giving points to Jake Hager. In the heavyweight ranking. So, you know, no okay. offense to my to man. To be like... fair, Shaq, to be fair, you and I are both part of this much maligned Bellator voting panel. And some of that <laughs> malination, I think, is correct. But in the case of Jake Hager, what you're saying, some of these divisions on the the online uh, voting tool, some of these divisions are only 12, 13 yeah, people yeah, deep. That's, and that's and what we're I'm trying saying. To, that's we're what trying I'm to saying. fill 10 spots, you know? Yeah. There's so, they're in no world, and man, I love Jake Hager. Love what he's doing in AEW. I, I enjoy watching what those fights are. But when you have to pick between Jake Hager and the other dude who's like zero and one in the division, I think that speaks volumes to how many legitimate contenders there are at heavyweight in Bellator. Well, there's a lot of recycling going on. You got Czech Congo at number two in the rankings right now. Litton Vassell at number four. Tim Johnson, who just got knocked out by Fedor at five. Tyrell Fortune is a guy who's coming on who you could see as a future contender. Uh, a couple other names scattered in, but oh, ranked no. number third right now is Fedor, the Russian bear. So the storyline is interesting because, you know, Bader, Ryan Bader knocked out Fedor in the finals of the Bellator Heavyweight World Grand Prix. So now there's sort of this built-in rematch idea with Fedor being the lead trainer for Moldovsky. I'm wondering, though, Shaq, if uh, 
I'm not wondering, I'm telling you. You know, without having the knowledge, I'm telling you, if Ryan Bader wins this fight, you gotta believe they're getting right, Fedor up in the bullpen because I don't think you expected what we saw was in Russia, Fedor delivering it old school style to Tim Johnson. You could make the argument here. I mean, when, when Ryan Bader fought Czech Congo, there was a, what, a stick kick or an eye poke or something. We never really got it. No one's itching to see Czech Congo. I wonder if Scott Coker and company are going, all right, if Bader wins, man. Let, let's run that thing back. Could, could uh, be worse, I guess, right? I mean, that first fight was not at all competitive, but to your point, like, when you have such a shallow division with no meaningful contenders sticking out, you gotta, you know, grasp at straws and figure out a storyline. And the funny part is, there's actually a lot of parallels right now between the Bellator and UFC heavyweight division. I don't mean in terms of competition, but... Yeah, you know, in a one-week span, you had a UFC heavyweight title unification fight, and now you've got a Bellator heavyweight title unification fight. And as we, and I know we're going to get to it a bit later, but as we sort of discuss that super fight between Francis Ngannou and John Jones that everyone is clamoring for, you know, super fights are fun. Fans love them. The promotion loves them. But very rarely is it, like, the legitimate, most deserving fight to make. But everyone in the UFC ranked 1-9 to nine in the heavyweight division is either coming off a loss or doesn't have an active win streak. And it, the case is kind of similar in Bellator, where it's like, really no one's standing out. The champ has beat up most of the contenders in line. So, you know, you got to do something. So I've got no complaints about Ryan Bader versus Fedor 2, but only because there's really nothing else. Well, it may be a moot point based on what we see on Saturday night, so let's talk about that. Moldovsky, the slight but firm favorite right here. Uh, will the wrestling cancel out? Will Bader be chinny here at heavyweight, or is it more of a weight cut situation? A lot of questions that will get answered. At the end of the day, though, I do feel like they are two ships passing in the night but going in very opposite directions. The, the, the question I have, of course, is that you're not going to handle Bader on the ground and... Moldovsky, not a decorated finisher, ha has has great stamina for heavyweight, can push a pace. But if I'm him, regardless of that reputation, Shaq, I'm coming after Ryan Bader. I'm going to make this ass uncomfortable. I'm getting in his face. I'm testing his chin early. Of course, if you're Moldovsky, you can't be reckless because Bader can piece you up. That left hook has become a weapon, something he really didn't have in the UFC when he was much more wrestling-based. But Moldovsky's got nothing to lose here but to find out how great he is. If he's willing to push a pace on Bader, not that Bader's got stamina holes, but I think he's got to be aggressive and he's got to jump on him and not be afraid to try to be the first one to take him down and work in some ground and pound. I think this is Moldovsky's fight to win. Luke disagrees. He thinks Moldovsky's the perfect setup for Bader to take him out. Give me a fourth-round stoppage for Moldovsky and look for big damage on the ground as well. I said it. Shaq, how do you see in your crystal ball Saturday playing out? Just to spite you, I'll go fourth-round TKO Ryan Bader. Um, I think Valentin has a lot of explosivity going front and back. I don't love his side-to-side -side movement, but also... You know, uh, Luke Thomas says, you know, I'm not the absolute authority on fight analysis. I am the farthest thing from that. So I'll, I'll go Ryan Bader fourth round, but that's mostly just to be a thorn in your side. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Jack. Uh, Co-main event is very interesting as well. It's it's interesting that it's the same storyline. We had 38-year-old former UFC star Ryan Bader, only he's the champion coming in as the underdog. And we have former UFC lightweight champion and 38-year-old veteran Benson Henderson in this welterweight co-main event against... Is it welterweight or, or is that lightweight? Let me make sure I get that uh, correctly. I it is a lightweight, lightweight fight. Oh, Benson okay, back at 155 against a guy who seems like he's coming, Islam Mamadov. Now, now Shaq Mamadov 
is from Dagestan. We don't think of him in sort of the the first shift of the all Smesh Factory team in terms of the names of guys who have next in the sport. I'm talking about Islam Mahachev. I'm talking about the great ghost of Zabit if he ever gets back. I'm talking about, you know, uh, Magomed Magomedov and, and Usman Nurmagomedov. But this fella that we're talking about here, Islam Mamadov, 20-1 and one overall, has only lost in like his second pro fight, uh, and he wins his Delator debut by split decision over former champion Brent Primus. Small sample size at this level, but he's been effective in any organization he's been in. Uh, are we going to be exiting this co-main event, adding him to this list of crazy, dangerous, Russian-ish, Abe Lincoln bearded fighters who we now need to be watching out for. And it's entirely possible. And kudos to Benson Henderson for taking a fight that doesn't give a great return on investment, right? Like this isn't a name fans are super familiar with. If he wins, it's not really going to push him up in that title rankings. If he loses, it's, you know, I think that what maybe four losses in a row, three or four losses in a row, not a fantastic look, but listen, Benson Henderson, I appreciate like I was saying earlier, uh, if he's not confident that he can compete at a world title level and still wants to be an active fighter, kudos to him. I'd love, and I know Bellator may not have as many options as, let's say, the UFC, maybe some sort of more like Legends matchups for ben- Bendo. That'd be really nice to see. I think a lot of these former champs have earned the right to have fights against guys of you know, relative skill. And I think a lot of times, and, and the example I always kind of point to is Matt Brown versus Miguel Beza, like, how much did that, did the damage Matt Brown take really do to elevate Miguel Beza? I'd say he got a lot more rub off that Santiago Ponzinibbio war, but I think these promotions have a bad habit a lot of times of feeding their legends to guys who aren't going to get too much off that name value, right? Like, there's times it works, like Izzy versus Anderson Silva kind of passing that torch. A lot of times, I think fans look at it more as, oh, I guess that guy is shot versus, oh, this, like, young, hungry guy looks amazing, Kudos to Benson. I hope he does well. Bellator generally does a pretty okay job at, at making relative matches for their aging guys. But, yeah, man, this dude, Islam might be the real deal here. Yeah, this is a great showcase uh, for him to try this. And you mentioned kudos to Ben Hendo for taking the fight. Vegas DraftKings has it as minus 220. I'm sorry, minus 410. Oh. Islam Mamadov is your favorite. Plus 310 Benson Henderson. So, Excuse me, you mentioned Henderson, uh, three-fight losing skid. It's tough to see because he's competitive in these fights. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, he got he got sent to another level by Michael Chandler, but that's Chandler coming on at that moment, entering free agency, looking to be in his best possible shape, which he catapults to the UFC from there. But then Benson Henderson loses three-round decisions to Jason Jackson and former champ Brent Primus. So, you know, he's not one of those. The Jason Jackson, of course, was a welterweight bout in between. But, you know, he's not getting fully destroyed and handled. He's, you know, he's always a tough out. He's defensively responsible, all that. But you lose four in a row here with a couple of them against younger contenders looking to go. I wonder if we start talking about if that's it for Benson Henderson. I mean, if he gets stopped here, I think you're definitely saying that. But I, I wonder where we're going there. In terms of what this fight will look like, though, uh, you don't have a lot of great success taking down and dominating Benson Henderson from top position. Historically, can Mamadov do this? Possibly. I, I think we saw Jason Jackson have a bit of success, if I recall correctly, but that's at a weight class sub. I don't think Benson needs to be competing at welterweight unless it's 
against a really favorable matchup. Like Jason Jackson, you know, he's he's a top-level guy in the Bellator welterweight division. I think Islam's capable of doing it. I'd like to think Bendo's technique will hold up, but let's be honest. Like, that grappling defense isn't what it once was, probably because the division has caught up to it. I, I think a lot of times we... Focus on the downslide of the losing fighter, the aging fighter, and, and forget that this is a rapidly developing sport. And it feels like every time someone's like, oh, yeah, wrestling is the key to this. Someone like Izzy shows up and says, no, 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 my striking is is next level and can negate a lot of this. And then you see Habib come along. So it's an ever-evolving sport, and I think that's why it's so hard for these former champs, these older guys, to keep a leg up. I, I like Islam's chances of making this a really dirty, if not a t- takedowns, like right up against the clinch sort of fight. I agree. I think he's going to maul Benson Henderson. I think it's going to go the distance, but I think this will be the biggest win for Islam Mamadov. I mean, look, the Brent Primus win is a big win, although it was a split decision, but those are two sound, solid wins to package together to try to make that leap into instant title contendership. And uh, to your point on, you know, what's the new trend? Is it wrestling? Is it jujitsu? According to Vanessa Demopoulos of of the UFC, it's stripping, Shaq, which is the perfect sort of... um, Hey, you, you ever try it? That, listen, um, <laughs> that stuff's athletic, man. I, I had a, I had a friend kind enough to, uh, like, the first time I ever went to a strip club to buy a booth. We got our own pole. Um, wow. Yeah, wow. I, could, I could hardly stand up on that thing, let alone. <laughs> okay. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect the conversation hey, to listen, go listen, here, but here we listen, go, Shaq. Listen, All right. man, yeah. listen. How often, how often do you get the chance <laughs> to prove your mettle? Yes, I. You know, you come on, don't lie. You, if you were at a fire station, you're not going to try and swing around on that thing once. Don't lie. Uh, my dad was a fireman. I did. I, I. My dream was to come down the pole, right from from the second floor. Well, I, I made my way up that sucker. I was never allowed to for insurance purposes, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so you're uh, jealous, was, Brian, is what I'm gathering here. I always tell Luke to keep his daughter off the pole, but you know, look, it's that's a that's for, a uh, that's a child's. Well, I thought you were going to say, that's a dated worldview. Women can do whatever they want. No, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, Shaq, Uh, I see all those decorative. Yeah, I see all those decorative uh, fighting. What what is this shirt saying? Yeah. He is for existential dread. I specifically got the tie dye for you today, Brian. I like the tie dye. I don't know if you're trying to make some kind of hipster statement using good words. The MK millennial. Right. Put it in print. I don't know if there are any. I think it's all old washed dads. Uh, Shaq, you do have decorative fighting belts behind you. Uh, do you agree with that meme that says uh, anyone wearing that in public should have to defend it? Dude, I I went to a WWE lot. Now, look, like this, these are like set pieces, right? That's a, that's like a twenty five dollar kids UFC belt from Amazon. I I don't know. I I'd wager you've worn that in public at least once. I'd wager. I can't say, you know, you know, 10 year old Shaq made quite the run of defenses with that undisputed belt over there. But I went to a WWE live event and I saw a dude with like a belt on each shoulder round the waist grown man. Look, passion's a beautiful thing. You love what you love, but, uh, that 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 man has more confidence than I do. I will, I will drunk, try and do a spin on the stripper pole. I will not walk around a live event, clad well, head to toe in replica championship belts. You know, every man has his own line he'll draw on what's lame, what's appropriate. You know, for me, like you bring a baseball glove to a, to a major league baseball game, and you're not it's with Canada, your son, man. and you're above the age of twenty one. 
you should probably be executed. But, you know, I used to work with with a great guy, Jim Baskell at ESPN, who had a thing. He's like, you know, if you're a grown man, you're wearing the uniform of your favorite team. You know, they're not going to sign you. You're not playing for them next week. What do you do? I, you know, that's to me, that's a little extreme. You know, I, I tend to, you know, I like to wear the retro NBA jersey, but that's just me. I, pl- I played hoops in a uh, Cherokee Parks Mavericks jersey the other day. Felt yeah. felt very, uh, uh, you know, nostalgic. I hear you game. get in people's faces directly. You know, it's the only forum where I'm where I can do that. You know, well, I, I, mean, like to, is... I like to think you verbally do it to Luke Thomas three times a week. Yeah, yeah, there, there's truth in that regard. Uh, also on this card, Shaq Beltor 273 from Phoenix, Aiden Lee versus Henry Corrales. There's certainly names you know on here: Saba Hamasi versus Jaleel Willis. But kicking off the prelim card on YouTube earlier in the night, yes, we get ourselves some big tuna. When Ben Parrish comes back to take on 2-0 Sullivan Cauley, are you as intoxicated with uh, this, you know, middle American folk hero underdog as myself and the rest of the world is? I mean, he's a he's well, a hairy, bald bastard, but he's got heart, bro. I mean, at the risk of getting you in trouble, I did t- ask, hey, do you want the Ben Parrish interview? And you're like, yes. Did you ever follow through with it? I did, you know, I ran out. I got COVID, ran out of time, never you're followed right. through. Well, I should I should have done that for you, the MK so, people. So keep in know? mind, keep in mind, you, I was kind enough for all of you done to me to say, hey, I could get some big tuna on me. But I know BC, I know BC's a fan. I'm, I'm going to let him have it this time. And you didn't do either of us the favor, so... I should have. I mean, I, I'm still hung up on him mentioning his dad was in the mob, and I'm like, what kind of, like, Kansas City mob Ozark season so, four are we talking out here? I got to get to the listen, bottom of this, you know? I, I but, don't know if Ben Parrish is a legitimate heavyweight contender. I guess we'll find out. I say just keep, feed, like, feeding cans oh, to him for now. Just, I don't I don't need this. If he, if he becomes a world champ, beautiful, we'll get there, but don't rush it. Like, just give me some big tuna. I want it sloppy. I want it heavy. Just, just... Whoa, whoa, Shaq. Shaq, are we talk, still talking about Ben Parrish here? I mean, come on, bro. Let's just... Yeah, all right. Uh, I think they should open the main card with him, to be fair. I, I you know, I don't know. Sometimes Bellator's burying Valerie Lareda on the prelims card. Yeah. I'm not going to tell him how to match make. By the way, decent uh, prelim main event. Uh, Darian Caldwell against Enrique Barzola. So... Uh, this should be a good card altogether. Saturday night, 10 p.m. Eastern, Showtime. Uh, go to Showtime.com. Get your 30 free days. All right, moving on to topic two. And, oh, quick reminder here. Uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, we do have a, a, a big-time boxing match. Uh, Keith Thurman on pay-per-view against Mario Barrios for the PBC. Uh, I had a nice sit-down with Keith Thurman. I'm sure we'll run a little bit of sound next week, but you can check it out right now. YouTube.com slash Morning Combat. Uh, the former welterweight champion of the world. He hasn't fought in two and a half years due to injuries, fatherhood, COVID, all that. Uh, interesting talk. He still still refers to himself in the third person. Shaq, I know you're not a monster boxing guy, so when I say Keith one-time Thurman, what do you think? I haven't watched him one time. <laughs> All right. That's so sorry. I saw Tyson Fury on the lineup, and I'm like, well, uh, if my phone battery dies, I hope it's right before that. Yeah, so I got yeah. very little to offer. I think I've told Luke this before. When I was when I first started, um, I was working at ESPN as an editor, and I would get a couple like, hey, you want to write this MMA story, or you want to write this boxing story? And, I, you know, I'd, I'd get a couple bylines and just hustling. But I didn't know, like... I knew I watched UFC, I watched the pay per views, but I don't know undercard. Like at that point, I'm not in it, right? Yeah. And I and you know some radio station in like Iowa or something sees your name on a byline, they get a hold of you and you join and you do a little radio hit preview in the UFC card coming up, and you're like, yeah, man, this is great. You know, I want to make a name for myself. 
And then you're on there and they're like, well, Brian, around here, we're a fan of these women's fights. So let's go to this uh, deep undercard, mm-hmm. the Facebook only prelims. Uh, which of these women's fights and why is going to be the best fight? I remember it pa- having like an in-moment panic of like, I literally don't know what to say. I don't know any of these oh. fighters. And hanging up the phone to pretend I had like, you know, connection issues. And uh, and then when the, and then quickly, you know, you ghosted them, I ghosted <laughs> them. And then when they called back, like, you know, 10, 15 seconds later, I, I loaded up the info and I was able to finish the job. Um, okay. I don't I've never shared that Extra publicly move. before because it's largely pathetic. But um, no, hey, it's, you got to do what you got to do. You know? Yeah. You know, look, you, to be a uh, to be a guy that wants the ball in the clutch, right, that wants to be on camera in the big moments. You, you got to have failed. You got to be Kobe rookie year against the Jazz airballing four three-pointers in the final minute. You know, you got, you got to take that L, as they say. All right. Let's keep it going before your phone takes that L and you're dropping out of the show. Uh, Dana White did a interesting. Let's try and figure something out. <laughs> an interesting ESPN Plus Q&A with Laura Senko. Which the timing was very interesting because of all the negative headlines about the Francis Ngannou fighter pay situation. So Dana slides in to address a bunch of super fights. But check before we quickly get into that super fight talk. Dana wasn't asked, or at least, you know, he was asked many questions by fans, but they curated it, you know, fairly carefully. So he never was asked a question about fighter pay or anything, but he did go out of his way to say, oh, by the way, anyone that you guys thought I, you know, ghosted Francis to disrespect him, I had to run backstage for an incident. I wasn't able to be there after the fight to put the belt around the waist. What was interesting, Shaq, is Dana didn't address at all that he also didn't show up to the press conference at all, nor did he, of course, address the accusations that uh, the UFC uh, threatened to sue his manager for talking to Jake Paul and company. I'm not going to go down the full Jake Paul road with the diss video. We could save that for Monday's show, which I think a lot of people are exhaling. But... Let's be let's be raw and real. Did you see this whole situation like I did and have any other emotion beyond Damn, Dana Dana's a freaking dirtbag. I mean, come on, bro, right? I mean, come on, you know? I mean, I'm not trying to get both of our press credential pulled, but like that nothing okay, about that look across the look, border with the pandemic. Dude, Don't nothing looked mine. genuine, bro. Nothing. Nothing. I mean, that. that's that's the Dana White playbook, right? Like I I remember very clearly the the first event the, sec- the first pay-per-view event I ever covered live was uh, UFC 241. That was the second Miocic-Cormier fight. And if you remember, it was Nate Diaz versus Anthony Pettis in the co-main event. And after the match, prior, Jorge Masvidal does some press. Why is he at the scrum, right? And he says he's got something good in the works. After the Pettis-Diaz fight, Diaz calls out Masvidal. And right away, there's not one but two cameras on Gamebred. So I asked Dana at the press conference, it's like, so, you know, Masvidal mentioned the fight, yada, yada. Is, is this something you guys have been working on? And he goes, no. <laughs> Who are yeah. you kidding? So, you know, yeah. that's that's Dana White's job. He's, he's, he's a politician. We've seen, we saw Trump do it for ages. You just deny, deny, deny. And it is what it is. But let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. That's, uh... who, who believes it at this point? There's some Dana White. There are people that are like suckled to the teat of Dana White who just linger on every word. I'm not one of those people. You're not. I'd like to think most of these fans aren't. And so it's just, you just take everything with a grain of salt. I tune into Dana White to get like fight updates and that's about it. But Dana is so Dana that there are moments where I'm like, you know what? That was some cold blooded dirtball shit, but 
you way to be that bold. I applaud you, Dana, because it's just like you know the guy pushes through walls, he gets stuff done. He's monstrously successful for a reason. But these were this is just one of those bad taste in your mouth moments, though. It was hard to ignore. But the business, the super fights that he's talking about. Uh, Henry Cejudo was mentioned, and of course we remember Cejudo throwing his name in there to try to fight Alexander Volkanovsky when uh, the the for, who was Volkanovsky supposed to defend against? Uh, Max in the in the trilogy. Yes. Excuse me, Max Holloway. And getting shut down. Here's Dana's updated quotes on Henry Cejudo. Well, we just had Cejudo talking about coming back. If he really wants to come back, there's a process that he has to go through, which includes getting back into the USADA pool. And if that's really the fight he wants, he wants to come back and fight either Jan in, in Russia or Sterling, whoever is the champion, or something crazy like jumping up a weight class and really taking on Volkanovsky. So uh, this essentially just says... We're not going to give you the Brock Lesnar treatment and speed up the amount of time that you need to be in the USADA pool or eliminate that altogether like we did ahead of UFC 200. If you want to do this, you got to do it right. No more ordering off the menu GSP style and calling your shots. That's it, right? I mean, didn't didn't he say that Cejudo could come back to fight Sterling, Jan, or maybe even Volkanovski? Like, it was a couple weeks ago where he's like, no, man, that's not how it works. To which... I mean, come on, Dana. That's how it worked when GSP came back. That's how it works for Connor every single time. And I'm not saying Cejudo is or isn't like those guys, but it just the fact that two weeks ago, the idea of Cejudo jumping in to an immediate title fight in any division was ludicrous, and now Dana White's opening up to it. So, you know, like whatever. Aside from Holloway, there's not a super clear contender at present for the featherweight title. So if Cejudo comes through, I won't be I won't be super upset. But um it man, listening to Dana talk about fights is and fights and matchmaking and fighter rights is just it, it's it's Jersey Shore levels of entertainment. It it's it is uh, it is extreme at times depending on what stance you're on and what stance he's opposing. But uh back to Cejudo I feel like the window just closed for me. I was a big advocate of him fighting Volkanovski, but I liked the idea a lot more when it was, uh, you know, last minute fill in or, hey, there's no immediate guy at the moment and we don't want to do the Max one just yet. Let's do this one. I think that window's closed, but I think uh, Mac, or Henry, excuse me, is doing the best move for him, which is to go verbally after the, the Piotr Jan fight. You know, he's coming out saying, I'll fight him in Russia, Rocky Four style. Look, he's going to cut the lines easier to go back to his actual weight division, I believe, Bantamweight. I don't think he's going to be subjected to some of this, like, Dana White hard speak of get in line, get tested, you know, fight one or two times first. No, I think if he's really serious about doing this against Peyote Jan, then maybe the timing will be perfect, Shaq, because maybe him taking the time to reenter the USADA pool and training up for this can coincide perfectly with Jan potentially cleaning up the mess that is the top of this Bantamweight division, you know, reclaiming the belt if he ends up doing that in the rematch with Sterling. And, you know, maybe there's time for even another one in between there. But either way, I think you should start, if you're the promotion, building toward the idea of Cejudo versus Jan because it's, it's, it's a pretty big fight at the end of the day. Cejudo, man, I, I don't think people give him enough credit because the cringe stick is just that cringy. Yeah. But, man, dude's got his head on right, right? He's got the podcast spot with Mike Tyson. He's building this super camp of killers with Davison Figueroa and um, Zhang Wei Li and John Jones and Yuri Prohoshka is supposed to go and work down there. 
man, he, he, he's hitting all the right notes. And for him to sort of recognize his value and say, you know, I could just jump in once in a while for a world title fight, maybe not based off of just strictly name value, but dude, only UFC champ champ with an Olympic gold medal. Like the pedigree is legitimately there. And it may not be what fans always seek, but for those who are in favor of, of the fighters getting what they can monetarily, you got to support a guy like Henry Cejudo, who's not going to go in there and take unnecessary damage until the prime opportunity is there, the intersect between legacy and money. And I am all for Henry Cejudo doing it, so long as it's not, it's not at the expense of a very clear contender in either the bantamweight or featherweight divisions. I think that's why when TJ Dillashaw does come back, you put him there. You put him in there against Jose Aldo, and you say, "I know you sort of had a title shot already locked up, but you kind of lost it with the injury." And you know, and that's that's that, that them the breaks in this division. But look, uh, Jan's got to get through Sterling first to close on Dana and super fights. He was sort of asked by Laura Senko at the end, you know, if he could make one super fight for the fans, you know, despite any issues, what what would he do? Like, what's the what's the one fight of the moment? And he said, uh, right here off the top of my head, as far as super fights go, it's John Jones and Francis Ngannou. The only other one that comes to mind would be Cejudo versus Jan or Cejudo versus Sterling or even Volkanovsky. So he's identifying at least Cejudo having multiple options and being a potential super fight guy, which is which is interesting and a step forward. But in regards to him, and he had a couple other comments about uh, Jones and Ganu, particularly Dana, let's give him the credit where it is due. He did say it was a genius game plan and an adjustment from Ngannou to wrestle and put Gan away. Um, Shaq, I went all week on this topic, Jones versus Ngannou in the calendar year of 2022, what percentage of odds do you give that of coming off? Oh, is there, I mean, you never want to say zero. I'll go 10%. You know, I think a lot of times we've seen fighters come out and complain about their purses or the negotiation, the contract details they have for the UFC. But generally what happens is the UFC gives them just enough more to be content and, and, and they go silent, right? The difference with Francis Ngannou at this point, it's not a monetary issue. It's a matter of principle. He is not happy with how the UFC has treated him. He is not happy with the terms of his contract or, furthermore, and more importantly, how these UFC contracts are structured. And that's an issue that runs down, runs from top to bottom. Will Francis Ngannou compromise or his beliefs or may those beliefs change? Possibly, but at present... He is the first guy to, re not the first, but the first in this sort of modern era to really go out there and say, this is wrong. The way I am being treated is wrong systemically, and I want those terms changed. I don't know that, is there a dollar value? Perhaps. Is there a dollar value the UFC will part with? I don't think so. I, I just see Ngannou being gridlocked for a while, and, and that's a yeah. shame because in some ways we're as close as we've ever been to that fight. It makes the most sense because there are no other clear contenders. Dana White is ready for it to happen, but I just, I expect Ngannou to hold out. And the longer this, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, the longer this holds out, the worse, because, um, you know, the fighter pay issue is not, maybe, I mean, I don't know the statistics or the contract details, but at least on the surface, it's not a race issue. It's a, it's an issue that affects every fighter, but I can't help but think from, uh, from Canada looking down when I think of sort of race relations in the U.S., the stuff that at least gets fed here most frequently is black rights and um, Asian rights. And so I, I can't help but wonder that 
even if it's not put to the forefront, like we saw in Ganu share that text message that his agent got, that racist text message, I can't help but wonder, as the story continues to build, if people don't start to, whether that be other celebrities, politicians, someone start to sort of associate with the underlying theme of a black fighter speaking out about how white ownership is suppressing their value to make their ability to make money, their ability to explore their options. I don't think that's what Nganu is going for, but I can't help but wonder if that storyline becomes more and more prominent if large third parties start catching, you know, really paying attention to what's going on. Right. Between, and, and that might have a huge effect on just the overall... Without, without him yeah. leaning into it, without Nganu yeah, using it as a strategy. It. Yeah, I don't it, think he's intending to do that, or no. he's really made steps to do that, but I can't help but wonder if that's an extra thread that may emerge over time. And listen, well, Ng- I am all for Nganu standing up for what he is deserved when it comes to finances, his ability to explore other options. These guys are independent contractors, and they're not treated like it. Well, uh, Nganu's already just such a you know steel wrestling term, just a monster babyface at the moment in like every possible category. If he ended up getting an unnaturally large sort of celebrity and, and global support for this from those same you know things you'd saying, even though he wouldn't try to go you know f- go down the race road, it would be. It would be part of the, you know, it could become part of the conversation. That's why I think when Luke Rockhold had that wacky idea of sort of this all African power front union of uh, Usman, Adesanya, and Nganu, it's like, it's almost like pro wrestling nation of domination sort of storyline booking. And, and, it's, and it's going in other areas of politics and stuff, but it also would work. It's just, it's interesting. Fighters at this point really need anything, any kind of leverage they can get to. And look, I hear a lot of weird, I think it's weird when you get, when you get too locked up on the fighter pay debate in either direction, it can get a little weird. I think it's a, there's a responsibility for journalists to at least put it to the forefront like we're doing. And, of course, sprinkle in, in, in our two cents of saying, look, like they deserve it. OK, let's just get like let's make the justice happen. But there's there's the flip side of like people that have no sta- say or stake in this of just like and greedy or he's stupid or didn't he turn down seven million per fight? No, he turned down a deal that would have paid him $7 million in total over the course of multiple fights and would have extended his deal uh, exceedingly further under these same conditions that he's fighting against. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's wild, and it's the most uncertain and craziest times in this category. But when you add in, of course, the Nganu injury, they're sitting in... you got to believe UFC Brass is sitting in that, that war room now going, okay, interim title, we're going to roll it out this summer. What's the best thing? You want to do Stipe Jones? Do you want to do Gon Jones? You know, like, what do you want? Yeah, yeah, you want to do Lesnar? What do you <laughs> want to do, right? You know, that's the conversation they're really having right now. And maybe business-wise, they should be having. Let's keep the show going. Topic three, uh, big UFC news. I don't know if this was floated in response to all the Nganu negativity, but a great fight. UFC is booked, as Dana White told the ESPN Brett Okamoto for confirmation, UFC 274. That's going to be May 7th, Cinco de Mayo weekend. It won't be in Brazil due to some vaccination issues and all that in terms of travel uh, for UFC, but it's going to be Charles Oliveira. It's going to be the lightweight title. It's going to be Justin Gaethje. Um, I may need to, uh, I may need a roll of paper towels to celebrate how excited I am about this, Shaq. Your thoughts. Yeah, uh, first, I do just, I want to apologize because my phone's at that 10% mark. The the, the pre-show prep really took it out of there. So it, I, I want to say it now so I we can just keep rolling. 
Thank you, Brian, for having me. Thank you, the MK team. Thank you for all the donks putting up with me today. Um, so but, we're here until you until your yes, wheels yes. fall. Yes, and I will. Yeah. I will try and see if after I die, if I can figure something out and, and resurrect myself. It's on, dude. It's on brand for MK. Unbelievable. Yes, Keep it going. Yes. The, the the courtesy is I let the fans know ahead of time. Um, Olivera Gaethje. I mean, talking about uh, talk about talking about something being shut off here, right? Uh, this is so exciting. Charles Oliveira is such a complete fighter, but maybe I'm not giving him the respect that Brent Brookhouse would like me to give him and like all of us to give him. The fact that he gets hurt in every one of the fights, he got rocked by Chandler, he got rocked by Poirier, and now you're going in there with Justin Gaethje, the juggernaut of the division. You can't help but be a little bit scared for Oliveira, who has a whole complete game right now, but is still hittable. Um... On the flip side, we saw Gaethje's submission defense against Habib. Boy, was it lacking. And I know he'll be working on it diligently, but this is one of those great fights. And This is the kind of fight you would get back in the day, right? A jiu-jitsu guy versus a boxing guy, a wrestler versus a kickboxer. Now, it's so much more fun when it happens because you get two complete athletes that either have one predominantly strong skill over the rest or one weakness. For Oliveira, obviously... He's got a record-setting submission game. Justin Gaethje, that power is just unrivaled at 155. So, man, anyone who isn't excited about this does not have a pulse because this is just this is just violence personified. And if Oliveira wins, man, we're you know there's a lot of lightweight pound-for-pound greats. You really got to start discussing where he falls in that ladder. No, absolutely. I I think the conversation about how quickly the mileage is going to add up for Oliveira, who even before this incredible win streak had fought all killer, no filler. Um, you know, he's here to steal Chandler's line for, for a short time, a good time. And it, and it, and it may not last through this fight, but he's, he's so red hot right now that who knows? Who knows? Because this man, we already know Justin Gaethje resides in hell in terms of what the style of fights he likes to get in. He may be craftier during this, uh, you know, this uh, most recent title run, and of course the 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 victory over uh, Chandler, which wasn't technical that that was that was manly, but that's at the end of the day who Justin Gaethje is. That's also Charlie Olives, just his sa- savagery because he he's found a way. Whereas Gaethje lives in hell, Charlie's found a way to to reside there, vacation there once in a while, and be just fine there. So, damn, you love that. Damn, I, I, dude, I don't get all this. For as long as we have you on here, can you explain the? There, there's, there's a side of the audience that's like, Gaethje didn't deserve to be back here. He only won one fight. He lost to Habib just like everybody else. FBC's theory that he was one leg strike away from putting the champ in peril. Oh, he um, was one leg strike away. There you go. Thanks for speaking the truth. But uh, I don't get how people just don't look at this guy as an absolute stud who could be your next champion and somehow think that you know he lucked into this. I mean. That's the thing. You have to put an asterisk aside anyone who has a loss to Habib. And that's not to say Habib isn't amazing. It's just to say the only reason lightweight is as exciting as it is now is because Habib so graciously took mercy upon the division and left, right? So the way I look at it is when you're you're looking at matchmaking at the top of the division, you almost have to just kind of scratch out Habib because Habib isn't a factor in this division anymore. Who is the best guy outside of Habib? Would it be nice... If Justin Gaethje was coming in on a win streak, sure. But you've got Islam and Benil tied up. You've got now potentially Tony Ferguson and Michael Chandler tied up. 
Connor isn't fighting right now. Dustin Poirier is coming off the loss. There's no immediate contender, but we're getting there, right? Islam Benil, that will be the next number one contender. In the meantime, Justin Gaethje is the guy because, like I said, outside of that Habib loss, because everyone loses to Habib, he was on a killer stretch, knocking out guys left and right, beating Tony Ferguson at the time where Tony Ferguson was still considered that guy to beat Habib. Justin Gaethje is entirely deserving of this fight. And beyond that, look, there's something sick and twisted about Justin Gaethje coming out and saying that he doesn't think his Michael Chandler fight was all that exciting and he doesn't get (laughs) the allure around it. That was the fight of the year. That is the kind of guy you want to see fighting for the world title. A guy who thinks a three-round war, one of the best fights of all time, is like, eh, eh, slow day. That's the guy uh, you want fighting for the world. I can't fight. wait. I can't wait. And uh, about to say goodbye to you because you're about to say goodbye to us technologically. But this does mean this is better. What's great about this news is Connor's not going to parachute in to get an undeserved title shot. You know, he's probably more likely to fight Nate a third time or Max a second time or what have you. Um, do you see the same Connor McGregor correlation that at least you were like, phew, because I don't need Oliveira McGregor right now. I don't need that. No, n- neither do I. Um, I understand where Connor gets a leg up in terms of the title fight, but at this stage, fortunately, look, Connor McGregor made the early investment into his mic work and into his octagon career where he is a pillar of the sport. He is a top draw, and nothing is going to change that. I know the UFC likes to put gold belts in their main event spots. Conor McGregor does not need a gold belt to sell major pay-per-views. In fact, I would argue Charles versus Conor doesn't sell as well as Conor versus Nate because there's a huge market of UFC, a casual UFC fans that just want to see the names that they're very familiar with. Dustin Poirier worked himself into that position by beating Conor McGregor, but... That star power doesn't immediately translate, you know, from Connor to Dustin to Charles Oliveira. Connor doesn't need the world title fight. It's not in his best interest either. So don't do it. Goodbye. And that is Shaquille Missouri. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank, Thank you, you for joining us on today's Morning Combat. Check out his work, uh, cbssports.com. Uh, also, I think, I believe, his Shaq Fu YouTube channels there, uh, whatever he calls them, in multiple sports. There's a lot of good wrestling content as well. So appreciate you being on, Shaq. Uh, BC will take you home, though, folks, the rest of the way, uh, transitioning to our fourth topic of the week. Eagle FC makes its U.S. debut this weekend. Uh, it's Habib Nurmagomedov's MMA promotion, of course, out of Russia. It's gone global. It's gone worldwide. And they got a couple names on this piecemeal gas station hot dog of a card here that at least people are taking notice of. Main event, of course, Tyrone Spong versus Sergey Karatanov. And, of course, Rashad Evans, Sugar Rashad, the former UFC champion, is 40s now. Uh, what, nine years removed, seven, eight years removed from his last victory, I believe, in 2013, but recharged mentally, spiritually, emotionally, physically going in there against uh, submission specialist Gabriel Checo in the co-main. Ray Borg also on the card. Couple, uh, a lot of Smash Factory hopefuls as well with Habib's farm system here. And uh, it should be interesting for a couple different reasons. I, I like the way that the promotion has used Chael Sonnen in a very strong and, and powerful role. Has all of Eagle FC's you know, uh, darts hit the bullseye? No, but I like the attempt they did. I believe it was after the press conference or weigh-in this week to do sort of a roundtable show. No traditional host, but Chael handling it alongside Habib, the promoter, 
and his fellow uh, stable mates on the managerial side, Kamaru Usman and Henry Cejudo. So you had a lot of star power there. They it was a little sloppy. It was you know it was hit or miss, but but there was some some parts that were certainly legit. And um, there's a lot of celebrity backing in this and name. They're gonna have to pull off though a better you know menu to MMA fans than basically BKFC thriller level stuff. In in this has some higher elements than that. It, you know this is that's an insult to this in some levels. Uh, I like that the state of Florida is finally starting to wake up. This main event was supposed to be uh, Bigfoot Silva, who should be nowhere near a fight like this. And the state, you know, Florida State Commission stepped in and made a change. The state commission just stepped in and made a great change, by the way. I think it was just yesterday on the BKFC side when uh, Melvin Gillard was announced uh, to headline an upcoming fight card. And the state commission denied it, which rightfully so, because Gillard's lost something like 14 consecutive fights across MMA and bare knuckle boxing and like seven or eight knockouts in there. And, uh, you know, the ghost of Joe Riggs just sent him to hell in like a minute uh, and knocked him almost out of the ring in, in this last fight. And they, they pulled him from the card. In fact, the Association of Boxing Commission had uh, Mike Mazzulli, who works, you know, with the, with the Mohegan tribe in Connecticut and, and is, uh, uh, regulates all the uh, most of the Bellator cards, if not all, I believe. He said, look, BKFC, you've got a got to reevaluate your your roster and what you do and and i like that this is at least a conversation you know i saw the extended press release from the commission saying that like you know your market is these 35 and older guys on the way out and and that's exactly their market but they got to be careful here so um uh, tyrone spong versus sergey karatanov not an awful fight by any means it's going to be interesting tyrone spong had just tried to transition uh you know of course got the decorated kickboxing background but he tried to transition into um you know heavyweight boxing and got the alexander Usyk fight before Usyk, of course had up to upset anthony joshua only to lose it for a failed drug test at the last minute now he's back on this side of things. Um, I, I'm going to be interested the first time, just like anybody else, to see the production value. I know they don't have a traditional TV deal. I think to be able to watch this on Saturday, you've got to go to their promotion website and, and stream through there. But I'm be interested to see you know, what the announced team is. Is it Chael calling the fights? And you know what they can start to do when in, in, when the power of the Habib name is put forward. And, and I don't underestimate that power, but... It's going to come in the matchmaking. So uh, I don't know, by the way, if we're getting Shaq back, there may be a chance technologically. If not, I'm just going to keep rolling on. Topic five. Oh, so we're going to check it out. Uh, the Eagle FC. I know, of course, also Kevin Lee and Diego Sanchez just had their press conference for the second uh, card from this promotion in the U.S., which is coming. Um, I hope Rashad Evans is okay because I think he should compete and be good in this. Uh, not it's it's not probably not the safest career move, but having to know him, getting to know him like I have, uh, hosting the CBS podcast with him, you know, doing all the work on Morning Combat, CBS Sports HQ, I love that man. Uh, and uh, it, mentally he is in in the right place for this. But um, is it advised? No, physically probably not. But let's see if he can potentially end his great Hall of Fame career on his own terms. We'll check that out. Uh, quick hitters coming at you to close here. UFC revealing Dana White in that same Q&A with Laura Senko that the promotion is interested in Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson for this next fight. So this is interesting. Um, on the surface, obviously, it seems like can't miss two legendary names, two action heroes. Yeah, just throw just throw them in there. It's going to be batshit crazy, freaking fantastic. This is the type of matchmaking that is is it's like a bowl cereal, right? I can't you can't avoid it. You got. I mean, I. 
you know, remember when CC Sabathia said that time in the prime of his career, he was like, you know, I lost almost a hundred pounds in the off season because I stopped eating cereal. And they were like, dude, how much cereal did you eat? And he was like a box of, uh, or I think it was like multiple boxes of captain crunch per day and, uh, or no per sitting. He didn't you know, eat a full box in a sitting. And I'm like, you know, and it, it, it led to extreme uh, weight gain, obviously. And I'm like, you know, I've, I've been there at different points in my life. I've, I've Sabathian at that level. And, um, it's, um, it's, it's a hell of a drug, okay? So I don't know how we got into cereal, but my, 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 you love this? But my only fear here is that Tony is a little bit more washed than we even fear. And that if he's got a short window left of very fun, you know, legend fights or big name fights, I'd much rather see him against Conor McGregor or Nate Diaz or, you know, Dustin Poirier than I than I necessarily would Chandler. Maybe not Poirier, but I, I don't know if you get my point. And my point is I'm being greedy here. If beggars can be choosers, I'd rather use this bullet for something else. I think Chandler's still, he's still in it, man. You know, he's still gonna, you know, it's not impossible that he would get another title shot working his way back around. You know, just the same. He could lose every fight from here on out and just be an action star. Who knows? Who knows? But I feel like he's got a little bit more in there, so I'm being extra greedy there. Uh, boxing shakeup. Well, that's only boxing could do. There was some reporting. There was some hope, some thought that maybe, just maybe, Tyson Fury could get into an undisputed championship bout with Alexander Usyk for all four titles, like right now, next. It was going to take some incredibly heavy business swingling, and 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 now how to do it legally is to offer step-aside money to people. So in this case, Tyson Fury had a mandatory challenger in Dillian White, so they would offer step-aside money to White. And then Anthony Joshua, of course, has a contractually guaranteed rematch with Usyk after losing the three belts to him by decision last year. So the thought was, if we also pay off Anthony Joshua, we could make them step aside. It is common practice, the the, uh, the step aside thing. It's not it's not a backroom deal. And make Fury versus Usyk right now. And I didn't believe it. I saw Gareth A. Davis, the Warlock, had a, had a report on that. I just didn't believe that we were really that close, that that could actually happen because I... I don't I don't see the same full on motivation in all parties to take the step aside money right now. You know, I, I like to just say, OK, go ahead. You know, I don't I don't see where that necessarily benefits them. And it was hard to believe Anthony Joshua would come out in the middle of that and said, uh, you know, I didn't make those comments. Who the hell, where is this interview coming from? I never considered. But the most recent report is from Mike Coppinger of ESPN, who's saying, according to his sources, the agreement in principle for both Dillian White and Anthony Joshua to step aside collapsed at the last minute after parties attempted to renegotiate in the 11th hour. So according to that reporting, they were pretty damn close to this potentially happening. But it's not going to happen. So here's how the future will play out. Tyson Fury will fight Dillian White. Uh, Friday's purse bid coming up. I don't know if that's today. I think this is the purse bid today, I believe. So the purse bid would just dictate um, whoever puts the, the highest bid in would be the promoter and could take it to any network they want. So that that's, you know, it, it's most likely that this becomes an ESPN plus pay-per-view, but Tyson Fury against Dillian White is a big time fight. So if this is the fallout from not getting Fury versus Usyk now and not getting that clarity now, you gotta love it. Uh, Dillian White is is awesome. And if you don't know him, he's gritty. He was, uh, you know, an early rival to Anthony Joshua in the amateurs. Then they fought as a pro and, and White had Joshua hurt, but Joshua rallied for the knockout and it was like the first big test that AJ walked through the fire and did it. 
And since then, Dillian White's just been a terror to, to everyone in this heavyweight division, except for those those couple top names that he hasn't been able to fight yet. And although he got uh, one-punched by Alexander Povetkin um, when he was the mandatory, he won that back in the rematch and avenged it. So uh, that's a tough fight for Tyson Fury, and they know that. But you did see Tyson Fury clowning the crap out of... Uh, Presumably Eddie Hearn and Anthony Joshua for turning down the money in multiple uh, Twitter videos and IG videos. It was pretty interesting. They say this this fight's going to go down in uh, Saudi Arabia, by the way, for Tyson Fury. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, to close here on your quick hitters, uh, Jeremy Stevens has ended his very lengthy career uh, promoting, promote, fighting with the promotion of the UFC. It is... Uh, it came out to be that his name was removed from the roster. Jeremy Stevens confirmed it. And now, according to Ariel Hawani, Stevens is like this close to signing on with PFL, which is interesting because at 35, he's such a fun banger at times. You know, it's, I say at times, he is a fun banger. There's been times when he's curtailed the violence just enough to try to make a run or, or to try to evolve and, and credit to him for doing that. He, you know, just despite always in his heart being a all or nothing home run swinger. But, um, I thought he might go straight to BKFC or Triller Triad. He's going to stop at PFL and, and continue this run. He's 35 years old. So at first I'm like, okay, you know, he's won some, he's lost some. Um, he's not in the best run of his career, but it can't be that bad, right? Then you look at the, you know, you forget how they add up and you look at the record and you're like, oh crap, he's 0-5 with one no contest in his last six. And it's, you know, he always fights killers. I mean, he's, the losses are Jose Aldo, Zabit, Calvin Cater, Yair Rodriguez, Mateus Gamera in his last fight, a submission in the first round. Um, it just kind of caught up with me that he's already here, even though he's 35 and even though he's had a you know, absurd amount of fights. What is he, 28 and 19, uh, 48 total fights. But uh, when you look at the record in the recent run, you go, oh, yeah, yeah, it is, it is kind of time for that next step, that next level. PFL, we'll see, we'll see if he can compete there. I mean, you know, it's interesting. I thought Anthony Pettis was going to come in and compete, and he found out the hard way right away. So uh, that'll wrap up the, uh, the news. The news, as it was, the top five topics of this Friday, setting up the weekend, of course, Bellator, Eagle FC. But I had been putting off all week, answering your questions. We know about how to get to us, right? Morning Combat at gmail.com is our email address for Wednesday fan submissions. Normally Friday dead wrongs, but these are Luke Thomas segments. So while he's away on vacation, we will hold those. But DMs from Donks, we send out that Instagram post every Sunday night. Your response to that IG post makes up this pool of questions. I believe my production staff is trying to get a hold of me here. What do you got? What do you got, people? All right. Shaq may be back alive. I don't know. But here we go. Here are your questions answered. It is called DMs from Donks. All right, hee-haw, hee-haw, BC taking your solo from at Sasquatch Toys. When are we going to get Factory Town MMA Championship belts made? Oh, wow. All right. Um, that's extreme. Now, now you could say we are already living in the extreme on MorningCombat.store when we're doing Hawaiian shirts with BC's face and freaking drug rugs, right? So... I don't know, or I don't know the, the Christmas underwear with Luke and I's face on your uh, on your Sasquatch. So, um, but you can you can manscape that, by the way. Uh, so, is it too far to go 
championship belt. Uh, I don't want to go down this lane. We're probably already here. It, would they sell? I don't know because I never thought a Hawaiian shirt would sell with my face on it, and we couldn't keep those in stock. So, thank you for being so weird, P one. Stay, you know, stay in arms. Maybe a six feet. Maybe a a stone's throw away from us, except for at you know publicly securitized uh, public events. But um, I'm kidding. But yeah, I, I'd like to see some other things first. All right, I'd like to see my uh, Randy Couture Bob Marley hat. Uh, you know, Fidel Castro hat come come on there, but. Uh, you're probably sick of talking about merch already. Let's keep to the next question from at JPT underscore working. This guy's working it. Uh, why doesn't the UFC push Izzy as the face of the company? He has more follow followers than Masvidal and Jones on Twitter and IG. Is it because he lost or because he was in New Zealand during the pandemic? Love the show. I think this is an interesting question because you do have to look at, you know, you sort of reset every once in a while and go, okay, Connor's still Connor for now, but he's not going to be Connor forever. You know, who are, who's the next pay-per-view stars that you could potentially build around where, you know, of course, to be successful and get to that level, they got to win and be champion, at least championship contenders. But obviously sometimes you can just, you can just be an all action guy or you can just be marketable and relatable as hell. And you, and you can get on one of those runs of must see. Why hasn't that fully happened for Izzy? I think that's interesting. Cause just, you know, a year and a half ago, that's that guy who you're like, okay, the next five Seven years, who's gonna who has the potential to be the face? Israel Adesanya. But it hasn't fully connected. And, and it and it may not ever get to where, you know, I thought the potential could be, or maybe that the UFC thought the potential could be. Izzy's a little bit weird, right? But he, you know, it's like he's in he 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 wins you over if you're just like tough guy love the mastery mastery of the sport and you're just like man that guy's so skilled i love him then you know he has the gaslam fight and you're like oh damn he's he is an action star too on top of that but i think he lost a, a great deal of momentum with the yoel romero fight even though he won it i think that was the moment where it was he had potential to bust through even more just like had he beat jan blahovich and the John Jones feud thing continued, and then it suddenly, oh, he's a two-division champion. Could he go to heavyweight? That was going to probably end up being the magic carpet that would have taken him there. And that's not going to happen, at least not right now. Most likely not ever, right? I mean, I do ev eventually see him going up to light heavyweight. But will he end up being a two-division champion? Nothing's, nothing's guaranteed. I thought he would be further right now. I think the more you get to the personalities, it's a little bit weird. But, you know, does connect to a younger audience in the video game audience and all that. But uh, I don't know. I don't think he 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 can be a great trash talker and, and flashy and all that. But you got to push him. You got to push him. And, you know, we saw certain moments of that. You know, Paulo Costa could push those buttons a little bit. But, you know, whenever somebody's not a massive draw on their own, like a Usman, you need a Covington. You need your own McGregor to get your to get you there. And uh, I think that Izzy's a much more you know naturally stronger draw uh, than than Nusman for sure, and has much brighter potential. But let's see if he gets there. All right. Uh, from at Scott R New, is Henry Cejudo, the Diddy of MMA coaches, all up in the videos, the interviews, dancing, and all the cringe. Who's death row? Whitman with Team Elevation. Question mark. Uh, I love the spirit of this question, of course. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Because like, I mean, did Diddy, did Diddy make, you know, his buddy B.I.G. in some ways that that the notorious one couldn't have filled in and needed that friendship and relationship and, and, and you know, the professional back and forth? Or 
did did he really ride his tails and score a big hit after his death about his death and, and all that? Um, maybe both can be true and maybe both can be true on Henry Cejudo. He can be cringe. He could, whether purposely or not, steal the spotlight a little bit. But he's also proving, and let's not forget that Eric Alberacin, the captain, is a monster part of the brain trust of what Cejudo's, you know, using to, to become this great coach and develop this reputation. Um, they're getting it done. So when you join with them, you know, they can help. They can help a guy like Davison Figueroa who doesn't speak English, right? They can help, uh, you know, give some 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 sort of image to that. And I think in other situations, it's it's sort of why Cejudo, I think Shaq was right in saying Cejudo's on a heck of a run right now in terms of presenting himself, in terms of, you know, the different things he's putting his hands in. Um, he's really smart in that he uses the cringe to disarm you and then sort of move in. And, and he's sort of in his own way, I'm not, cause there's nothing cringy about his fighting style, but he's used other ways, you know, in his fighting style to, to really develop the IQ and smarts where to, to use feints and, and strategy. And, and I mean, he's, he's a pretty damn smart fighter. And, and I think he's able to bring that mindset to the coaching here. So yeah, he may get up in the video, right? He may hang, uh, Vanilla Ice by his ankles. Obviously, that was Suge Knight. That's Suge Knight documentary, right? I don't know if it's still on the Showtime app, but that's a that's a wild ride. That's uh, I don't know if anybody saw that. That's <laughs> Suge is who they who they thought he was. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a, he's living it. He lived it. He's still living it. All right. From at Ilya seven four five, if you can press a button and extend the Muhammad Ali Act into MMA right now, would you? It, look, it's an interesting question because. The Ali Act hasn't been perfect for boxing by any means, but but the spirit of it, right? What's the spirit of it? That, you know, you can't manage and promote a fighter at the same time. That's the spirit of the Muhammad Ali Act. And and it's basically, you know, you, you can't control everything, which is to the credit of UFC, Dana White, Zufa, before that. They They are who they are now due to their smarts and their balls and their creativity as marketers and promoters, yes. But by creating a, a, a forum, a, found, a, a platform in which they hold all the damn cards. And, and they were able to do that because they picked up UFC when it was dead, when it couldn't get on regular TV. Like, you have to always remember to refactor that into it. I mean, it was gone. It was a good... It was... I mean, you could still watch it and follow it if you were hardcore, of course, but it was not trying to show up in your day-to-day -day life. And there wasn't the internet as, you know, prevalent. It was it was barbaric at that point. So um, it, it was gone, right? And it, was, it wasn't it was a sport. It was like a e experiment that was fun, but failed. You know, it was like, I mean, it's like, fa it, it, you kind of put it in line at the VHS store next to Faces of Death, but before the, the porn, right? I mean, it, it, it fit into that. And now it's so damn polished up and it's here because they control everything in the matchmaking, the best fight, the best, and they keep them underpaid and hungry and coming at it. So it's always going to be hard as we continue these conversations and look at the fallout, because as I always I'm quick to say, like when we finally get an MMA, what the fighters deserve it's going to handcuff some of what makes or a lot of what makes UFC great right now. I mean, there's always going to be hungry and willing fighters and all that. And you're, and there's so many great fighters under roster now or in this era right now, you know, active that it, it, it almost doesn't matter in the end if, if, uh, if somebody 
gets into a dispute and sits out for a while or whatever. I mean, you can just keep reloading. But at the end of the day, it's what the fighters deserve. So could I extend the Ali? Would I extend the Ali Act by, in the MMA by pressing a button now and saying whatever we have to deal with, we have to deal with? Yeah, because it's what the fighters deserve. And you just do the math with, with how you compare it to other sports. They're not, they don't have insurance. They're not paid well. You know, like they're, they're, this is, this is not a career. This is a short opportunity to make a lot of money in a short window, but it becomes a career for so many of these guys and, and they deserve more. So if it was something like the Ali Act to make that change happen, I'd, you know, it's, it's, it's what's right. So you got to take what, what, what comes because of that, you know, um, from at Connor.dc13, is RDA in the Hall of Fame? It's funny. We, we do the, the, the high court episode with with uh with chuck mindenhall which we had a fun time doing but it was based on an actual sort of argument and in in you know i definitely don't ever want the default of oh that guy won a ufc title once so he's automatically in the hall of fame because that's not always true you know even like in baseball like okay the guy won the mvp that one year but it doesn't mean they were that hall of fame type bisping i always felt is either right there or right below it you know i mean he he's the one you can make a real argument for but what was the thing for Bizping that I just couldn't get over at the end of the day. You know, I love the longevity and the big twilight in the end and, you know, everything. The one, I think you love everything. I love Bizping. But he really lacked on elite wins against other elite fighters when both were in their absolute primes, you know? And you look at a guy like RDA, not only does he have the reputation side of absolute badass, duck nobody, fought everybody, fought more guys than you actually remember. He fought, oh my God, like this guy's a badass. Oh, he also won the championship too. And he also has a damn good set of wins too. Um, I mean, you look up and down, you're like, oh yeah, he did beat Paul Felder, Kevin Lee, Robbie Lawler, Neil Magny, Tariq Safadine, Donald Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz, Benson Henderson, Donald Cerrone again, Evan Durham, George Sotteropoulos back when that was something, right? I mean, come on. Um, And that was something, by the way, back in the day. Yeah, RDA. You mix all those things together? Yeah. And and by the way, he also won a championship. And he's not stopping doing whatever it takes to try to cut weight or, or you know, reinvent himself again at a lower weight class. Yeah. I mean, you, man, some of these guys are just badasses. And it's like sometimes, like, you know, or most of the time, it's not the... It's, it's against their own... For their own good. It, you know, it's always short-term success in spite of whatever type of long-term damage or, or, or receipt that comes paid or how many losses you take because of it. But I was watching um, Randy Couture versus Big Nog last night, just randomly on Fight Pass, and you're just like, man, I mean, these are two old cowboys, right? Like, these are, I mean, it's one thing to be like a like a Don Fry. Don Fry was great in his day, but you look at Don Fry as almost like a cartoon. I mean, I think he's still knocking out fans in the crowd, by the way. Watch out, have you seen this shit on Monday? But, you know, you look at him as the gunslinger. But, like, Couture and Big Nog were that, but they were also elite, all-time, all-time greats and and go after it. And, I mean, maybe that was in some ways, meaning that era of, like, 2008, nine. maybe that really is the good old days because it was, you know, the skill had started evolving, not to where it is now, but you still had that old fight feel that old like yeah yeah my skill that i have over you in the end it's going to help me win but what's really going to win the fight for me right now is that i'm an absolute badass and i have balls and i'm just going after it that's rda you know what i mean and 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 it's not like that's not bizping 
but that's why there has to be a line and a difference because RDA also has the win. So yeah, I'm I'm team um, captain on RDA doesn't get the love uh, that he deserves, and and we'll have more of that fine wine reputation as it goes on. Uh, we do have Shaq back. Wow, anything's possible, Kevin Garnett. Can we bring back in Shaquille Majori with a? Uh, are we going through the cell phone now, or where are we? Uh, yeah, looks- yeah. I mean, listen, man. Tech is your best friend until it's not, right? So until you, it's not. You, so you we, do what you do. And they like always you said, say it this is MK, a. Right? Yeah, they always say this is a '90s centric show, but uh, you have like a '90s centric tech setup right now, and I can respect that for sure. Um, why don't we tee one right up here on the next one here for one Shaq Majori in the midst of this extended DMs from Donks Shaq? This is from R I. RLI two cool six. I mean, just as Luke was saying, just an awful handle. Like, why don't you? Well, not we could probably fit a couple underscores in there too. But Shaq over under. When are y'all going to a Cannibal Corp show? Brian gets in the pits. Over under one half amount of times. Shaq, I not only want you to answer the how many you know the over under on how many times. Brian would be, you know, man enough to try to go in the pits at a Cannibal Corp show. Could you give me any reason why, even for the sake of a documentary, that I should try to subject myself to this atrocity of music and and lifestyle and way of living and being and go with Luke to a, you know, flesh eating just, uh, yeah. We, we already know. You go to Cannibal Corpse, Showtime sends you to an AEW show. See, the problem is I'm... Subject. No, and Brian, Brian. I'm AEW falling in so and out of to, so much fun to watch. Plus the live experience. I haven't been to an AEW show, but you know this. The live yes. pro wrestling experience is a lot more fun than like keeping up week to week. Just go have a good time. And here's the best part. You know, Luke's actually going to enjoy himself. It's well, worth he it would, just for that. And that would be fun. But man, I'm falling in and out of love. I can't get myself to watch any product anymore. And I'm an AEW guy, but I just, man, no, I got, I mean, you know what it's like, Shaq, because you, you're a fan <laughs> yeah. and a journalist. Yeah, they so you have, have to covering SmackDown every week now. So you have to live this. You have to live it. And I lived it to, you know, yeah, to they exhaustion. beat it out of you, man. They had you watching. And, and, like and not only show. live in it, you have to have so much, like, there's so much, there's so much time put in that you don't, that you do not ever get the, the uh, recompensation back to make it. That's, that's but the hey, look, I'm only obligated to watch two hours a week. And also, we forgot the over under. Dude, you're you're going into that mosh pit like three Ugh. or four times. You're sneaking up on people with that rear naked choke, that jujitsu, that jujitsu as they like to call it. Yes, yes, yes. I know you're too you're too you're too aggro on the basketball field, on the basketball court to not jump into that pit a few times. Yeah. Well, let's get out of this pro wrestling talk because you know, uh, chicks. Lisa Sun Jake Paul. Yeah. All right. Uh, from at Tony G eight three zero five. With the best, well, good, good question here because I did, as I mentioned, watch Randy Couture lose that incredible 2012 Fight of the Year contender uh, against Big Nog. There, um, would the best version of Randy at heavyweight compete with the today crop of heavyweights? Shaq, um, are you you're a younger guy than me? Did you grow up I watching am. Captain America, or is this something you you? Uh, um more a little more retroactively so i started my first sort of like experiences with the ufc was probably around like 2008 2009 and then 2013 is when i really started getting into the fold um but i'm, I'm familiar with cap's work i think these conversations are difficult to have because like if you were to say if you were to take if you were to take a, a bet prime randy couture 
and place him in modern MMA and give him time to build up those additional skills, like, oh, yeah, that that is a once-in-a-generation kind of athlete. Like, Grandpa does it big. But, um, you know, taking the prime Randy Couture and putting him into the modern era, the game has just evolved so much. I don't think you can ever really make that translation. But, like, you know, if Misha Tate can be a top-ten bantamweight, uh, a woman... Women, I can't remember what division she's in anymore. Um, Randy Couture, the best Randy Couture, I think for sure would be like a top 15 heavyweight still. Yeah, because I think because the intangibles are so damn strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so let me dead wrong myself in real time. I'd said the, the Couture big knock fight was 2012. Obviously, it's uh, it was earlier than that. And as I look at his run, it was uh, 2009 UFC 102. And I mean, that's a 46-year-old Randy Couture in that fight. And he was... You know, and that's basically the fight of the year from 2009. He's he's ripped. Like, I mean, you know, I mean, you can always believe what you want about uh, about performance enhancing <laughs> drugs, and believe me, I do. Luke but you know, over there. Uh, I mean, he's fucking ripped in that fight. But that fight will show you. Look, he's really undersized for a heavyweight. Like, real. Like, he's undersized for a heavyweight. Like, Frankie Edgar was undersized for lightweight. So it's like for a while he can he can do it. But then you know the evolution, the adjustment. But the the thing in his favor is parts of his game are, you know, he was considered ahead of his game to certain degrees back then. Parts of his game are still so foundationally strong, meaning wrestling base, high cardio based, you know, dirty boxing can, can outbox, like, you know, can outbox a guy who doesn't have the technique almost easily as he was doing to Nog at times. Only Big Nog was still close enough to his prime that he can he can bite down and counter. And that's why that fight is incredible. But the the whole cardio wrestling competent boxing, I don't know, man. That that still works. You yeah. know, that still works today. Who is the highest ranked fighter you think a prime couture could beat right now? So off the top of my head, you got like Nganu Gan, maybe it's Mia Chich, Curtis Blades, Derek Lewis. Well, that's what I was gonna ask you, because Derek Lewis is yeah. the is the perfect thing that I think makes this difficult whenever you're doing this, whenever you're comparing eras and it's not just that the evolution of athleticism is the difference between the two. It's also, well, they were very undersized. You know, okay. Rocky Marciano, great first yeah. time, but the guy's like five, what, you know, 10 and a half, like we're we going to put him in there against Tyson Fury. You know, what's that going to look like? Um, I don't know that like that, that certainly that's part of it, but what is Randy Couture going to do with Derek Lewis sitting on top of him? Like, what is he, because the thing about even what made that big Nog fight so great. And again, that's, that's like sort of the last one of the, some of the last great fights from that old romanticized era where like it was more about winning with will than skill, but you still had to be really skilled to, to get it done is Randy like was in such horrible positions, like two, three, four times in that fight. And again, that's why he's Captain America, right? Like him just fighting out of a, a submission in which big Nog sitting on his back, digging it in is, is sort of epic, but you can't make those kind of massive mistakes in this era, especially with a guy as big as Derek Lewis, like yeah. potentially laying on you forget hammering you with shots laying on you. That size difference maybe is where I need to turn out romanticizing this, you know? Yeah, perhaps I think maybe like marching Tybora. I know that's not like a sexy name in the heavyweight division, but he's ranked number no. nine. Uh, Augusto Sakai is ranked number 12. Maybe, maybe he beats those area. guys. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm telling you, he beats those guys. I'm yeah. saying that those guys don't. Have... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So top 10 heavyweight. I think, I mean, I mean, I think that speaks volumes how amazing Randy Couture is. If 
we're discussing. I, you know, not to say we're, I'm the authority on this sort of stuff, but if uh, we can see him as a top ten heavyweight now, I mean that's that's something else. All right, for this is interesting from at Rich P Top Tier. Rich P Top Tier. Uh, this is gonna this is gonna increase the potential of a Bronstetter versus Missouri feud. I'm sure. Does <laughs> fighters getting paid on crypto fix the fighter no. pay debate altogether? No, man. This is such. Uh, look, I think. And look, I, I know nothing about crypto. I'm not inclined to learn anything about crypto. It's just, I, I mean, you might be able to see a hair of it over there. I still got my little Christmas tree up. Like, I'm too far behind in my life to worry about crypto right now. Um, I'd like to think Aaron's just really into crypto and not so much like trying to jump at the defense of the UFC. This is the thing, right? When the UFC comes out and says, yeah, yeah, we're going to give... The fighters, 50% of all the NFT proceeds. Well, that's split 25-25 between those two fighters. One. Second, how many fighters are going to actually... How many fighter NFTs are really going to sell well? at Top 1% of fighters, maybe. And again, that's a really convenient time to say, look, we're giving fighters 50% of something when the entire argument is every other major sport gives the fighters a 50%... Gives their athletes a 50% revenue split. You guys say... You're one of the fastest growing sports. You're a major league sport. Why are your guys only getting 16%? It just seems like the crypto and NFT arguments are second to the fact that this is a really, really amusing time to say, look, we're giving fighters something. How many fighters are really benefiting from it? Well, I mean, I think the argument Bronstetter got in was like surrounding like $18,000. Like that... On That's any budget, that fixes nothing. So, okay, it's sort of like, you know, I've had a few of these jobs, unfortunately. You ever have a job where the job sucks, they're paying you crap, and they're really not all that nice to you. But, you know, every Friday they buy pizza for the whole, you know, the whole building. And, you know, you know, they just bring in ice cream bars every once in a while, and then you're just sort of like, man, this job sucks, the pay sucks. But, dude, that free pizza is great, dude, every Friday. I mean, that's great. That, that's what that's all this is. So stop. Stop that shit. Well, maybe we need to get uh, Bronstetter in here to defend the... Oh, the, I, I don't think I could go counsel. blow for blow with him, Bronstetter. Keep him away. No, I, I, look, I look good right now. I look good right Canadian now. Canadian on got... Canadian crime. Yeah. yeah. By the way, you know, I always say this now that I'm, you know, becoming an old POS um, at 43. There's just going to be certain things like for me, it's, you know, Sean O'Malley, like the character. Like, it's just I know that I'm old now because there's just certain things I'm not going to get. Right. If it makes you feel better, I have I don't align with like the Sean O'Malley vibe. It's not. I, I, it's same. It's well, this, same isn't, a, this, this like... isn't about Sean O'Malley per se, but it's more about me just saying like NFTs, dude, like. You know, oh, get, get that yo, shit out of here. Brian, okay. I know you play Fortnite. I don't even play Fortnite. I do. I do play Fortnite. Yeah, <laughs> don't yeah. don't sell yourself short. I, I do have a Fortnite addiction, I guess. Yeah, that is something right there. Um, all right. For Oh, how about this guy from at Brantendo64? You know that bloke, right? He's he's a Bizping's video guy. Oh, is it? Wonderful. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a P1 MK guy, too. He oh says... God. Well, he should how, put in a good word for you because clearly Michael Bisping has not gotten the same... Uh, yeah, no, no. He was he was cool. With, by the way, with that high court, I saw some responses from him. Oh yeah, he didn't watch it, but uh, Luke had you know reached out to him ahead of time, so he was like, "No, those guys are just fooling around." Yeah, all right, cool. Um, how much has the flyweight division evolved? How do Fig and Moreno compare to Mighty Mouse? Um, that's an interesting question, Shaq, because I I think it's I don't want to say a lack of evolution because in general, like the best thing you can do is go on Fight Pass and watch. 
fights from 2008, then 10, then 2012, then 2014, then watch a fight from 2016. I mean, the, the evolution is constant. But I think it was getting rid of Demetrius Johnson and then even Cejudo, who did a, a great deal of job of saving the division. It's just made it now parody in its wow. exciting parody. And it's it's just awesome more than, damn, these guys have evolved to, to they're all killers now. I mean, okay, I don't want to give Henry too much credit. Like, we really played up that TJ Dillashaw's Thanos, Henry Cejudo's coming in to save the world. He won that. He he turned around immediately. I was like, okay, I'm going for the Bantamweight belt. Now, you don't hear Featherweight on his lips at all. Um, to your point, though, Mighty Mouse going was probably the best thing for him and also the best thing for Flyweight. I think Mighty Mouse would still be a top five guy. You got to remember when he lost to Henry Cejudo, that was uh, not a robbery. That's not anything close to the truth. Yeah, dude, but it was a lot of about people. That. Yeah, a lot of people thought Mighty Mouse won that fight, myself included. So to say that Henry Cejudo, if he stayed at Flyweight, wouldn't be competitive with Davison and Brandon Moreno, I think you're just lying to yourself. I think Mighty Mouse could possibly still be champion, if nothing else, top three, top five. I mean, look how competitive Jose Aldo still is now that he's made the move down to Bantamweight. Um, but in terms of action, it's funny because we went from Brandon Moreno being part of those flyweight cuts to being one of the most important fighters the UFC has under their roster right now in terms of the global expansion. Flyweight is fun. Flyweight is all action. Flyweight is starting to draw from these different markets. And it's poetic because it's what flyweight deserves after getting trashed on by fans, yeah. by Dana White, to go from you know on the verge of extinction to being a really reliable co-main event firefight time in and time out. I'm just, I'm really happy for everyone in that weight class. No, absolutely. And, and uh, it's unfair. I always have to add this disclaimer because I think it's true. It's unfair to DJ because, you know, when people called him a decision fighter, he just started finishing dudes left and right. Like he did everything right. You know, it just, it didn't click. It didn't work. And Dana also never put that gold stamp on him. And when Dana doesn't do that, also, can we point out how late the UFC was to really... Like, one thing I always kind of talk about when I talk about UFC marketing fighters is... Sorry to bring it back to pro wrestling. So, what the Attitude Era did tremendously is it, it it gave every wrestler top bottom on that card a writer to work with. It didn't matter if you were in the main event or if you were losing every single week. You had someone helping you define your character. The UFC never really tapped into Mighty Mouse's gaming market until after he left. And now we got... Twitch watch alongs. We got uh, let's plays with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson and stuff. I'm not saying that would have made him a, so, a world theory, like a, a main event star, but it would have. I know a lot theory, of gaming you're fans, right, yeah. but that's not the UFC's market though. At the end of the day, like, it, like but obviously it's becoming it, that market now. Like they're starting to bleed into that. It's not going to be make you the main event star, but I had a lot of gaming friends who only knew Mighty Mouse, and they never okay, encouraged. That's yeah, yeah. I have a lot of. I know a lot of friends who only know Mighty Mouse from gaming. And they never really welcomed that market until after he left. And they really do go after it now. Yeah. And now they'll benefit from it when you got like a Sean O'Malley guy. You got anybody mm-hmm. that's young, hip, and plugged in. I just think, man, it's it's evolved so quick that that was almost a different era even yeah. then no, when they fair. had that opportunity. Fair. But uh, let's keep it rolling here. And uh, I hope, you know, I think DJ's getting, is he getting that one championship rematch against the guy that beat him? Uh, I mean, I don't know why he would. He got smoked. Um. <laughs> I, I know, know he's got I, a fight coming up, but I mean, give, some, him, give him one fight. He's still got some stuff left in him. Yeah, yeah, no, I, he could win, but I just, I, I you know, I, I know I didn't get to it with Tony Chandler. It's just like, give these guys some breathing room. Give them a chance to, like, why do you have to throw them to the wolves constantly? Same with Conor McGregor. Dude, take a fight 
against someone a little bit, take an ADS fight, something that's a yeah. little bit more manageable because you're not doing yourself and the legacy you want to retain any favors by constantly going against the top, top, top. Well, guys. sometimes so, you just need to be busy, dude. Like yeah. you just need to be busy to, to, to be at your top form. McGregor's learned that lesson the hard way. And thank you though, by the way, for as much as like I'm putting so much coal in the stove lately to keep the fire going of under, underrated Henry Cejudo. No, Luke, he really could compete potentially with Volkanovsky. You don't know how great this guy is. At the same time, your point about, I don't think he actually beat Demetrius Johnson in that fight. I think the judges got it wrong. And Johnson had like two major injuries he was fighting through and had already beaten him before. Even though Cejudo used that win to really springboard, you know, what was that brief but incredible closing run. Um, it, it look, look, how, look how close the margin of error can be, right? I mean, you know, we he Cejudo might not become the real that he is now, you know, if had that division, go, had that decision, excuse me, gone the other way, you know, yeah. um, from at CLP film, did Vanessa Demopoulos previously mentioned just become BC's new favorite fighter? Uh, um, clearly I hear you bring her up every week, every episode. No, now. not my favorite fighter, but, um, it's, married, a fun, it's, kids, a, it's a fun kind of crazy, right? Like I, I like characters like this in this game. So, uh, you know? this is like, uh, not, not to be lame, but, um, the thing I've learned from talking to fighters is there's actually there's so much you could like when she says that a lot of her um, jujitsu skills comes. I it's I know it's easy to make fun of it and it is hilarious, but I believe her. Like Izzy Cyril Gan, like these guys pull a lot of uh, stuff from dance. Uh, Raging Cajun Johnson, former UFC fighter, I used to do a podcast with him. He has a break dancing background. That stuff really has an impact in terms, especially like popping and locking and being able to make like really really sudden abrupt shoulder movements and hip movements and stuff like that it's hilarious but there's i'm sure there's something there i, I fully believe her when she says her jujitsu is like all her work. but I, i'm not even coming at it from you know the angle you're probably assuming i'm coming at it i'm just coming at it from like it's like it's like a character in a movie like these type I of know. personas when it's big tuna or whether it's you know whomever like awesome yeah these folk heroes remember that that dude who uh Spar Spike uh, Carlisle was that his name? That dude who had that brief cup oh of coffee in the UFC, was, and you're just sort he of was like, amazing. remember his like? I, I can't remember. Did he go on like a anti anti Jewish terror or something, an anti Semitic terror or something like that? Oh, I I, 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 I am unaware of that, so I'm you, certainly not I'm certainly not supporting that angle. Sorry. But uh, you know, c characters like that that can yeah, come well, in, um, and that's that's the thing I wish the UFC would do more of. And I know, man, dude, I've talked, you know, talking to some fighters is like drawing blood from a stone. It's just impossible no matter how enthusiastic you are but there are characters that i think i don't think the goal always has to be in the ufc um the best fight the best you know this isn't there's room to make legends fights there's rooms to have guys like shout out to sean o'malley he's not fighting the top guys until his price tag reflects that and i'm all in support of that because yeah. he still draws why does he need to fight the best guys all the time if his incentives are financial and i think there's a lot of guys like for better or worse, Spark Car Spike Carlisle, like uh, like Big Tuna, where like they can be, they're never going to sell the card, but they can be a meaningful component in Absolutely. like compelling people to tune in. I think we yeah, need I more mean, there's a line. MMA. You got to be competitive. You you know, you've, there's there's a line, but there's also a way to do it and to do it sleight of hand, even feeding sometimes softer matchmaking to give somebody a chance to 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 become yeah. something. But you know, you could just as easily argue. There's no place for for forcing that, and you know it's it, it, the best still fight the best. Let's let's whatever. We'll see. We'll see. But you know there, there's room on a card for all kinds of weird matchmaking uh, when it makes sense. Um, 
Yeah, from at Brandon Class in 26, seeing the deficiency in Cyril Gahn's ground game, do you still believe Gahn is the harder matchup for John Jones? Hmm. Shaq, I'm um, going to say uh, no. I think Francis is the tougher matchup for John That without question. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm inclined to agree with that. I think Cyril Gahn, like, People are kind of hounding me on it for online, but I really think he gave away that last round. That's not to say he intentionally handed it over, but sitting back for that leg lock was such poor judgment. I don't know. I guess, maybe he was under the impression that he was down three to one. I know he was on one judge's scorecard. He but was under that it. impression, Shaq. His, yeah. his, uh, Fernand Lopez told him that after, what, rounds three and four. You're, you're down. You're, you know, that, I mean, bad that, that... call. Bad call. I'm, Fernand Lopez is an amazing coach. Uh, don't. Get me wrong, I, I can't see the fight the way he can, especially cage side, but it was so close. Even if you thought he was down 3-1, and obviously you can have foreseen takedown to leg lock unless that was called for, but in reality, it was close enough where I think in a situation like that, you just split the difference and hope that the judges lean in your favor. Um, or at least see if you can work yourself to a better position. But I agree as of right now... See, I think, it, it, dude, I think he was in the wilderness then. I don't like, I know that it's, it's, it makes sense that people look at that as like a turning point or, or the, or the, the thing that won it for Francis, you know, the big mistake that, and, and in reality, obviously it was, but to me, gone, even, even though if that moment didn't happen, he still could have won that final round and it was very close. I just think those last three rounds, dude, he had, I mean, he was just hanging on. I mean, he was just really hanging on. Like he, it, it was, it was some, it was lifeless enough that even if he had pulled that out and, gotten a, a close decision he still would have looked bad yeah i i think Cyril gone give him a few more years and, and I, I think he's gonna be that guy um but as of right now without a doubt it ain't was a tougher matchup all right from at dougs one two three a dugs a dugs where does moreno and figueredo rank among the all-time great UFC trilogies, I think that's 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 the interesting question. I did ask Chuck Mindenhall about you know how 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 well did the third fight do to really make this you know one of those rivalries. Um, in terms of meaning, I get what he's saying where it's it's sort of second tier, but man, these these guys have delivered. Okay, there's one fight of the of the three that isn't as competitive, but I think it's still a fun-ass watch to see Moreno, you know, climb the ladder and get that moment in the post-fight interview and all that. Um, it's it's certainly not, you know, uh, Edgar Maynard, but I think, you know, it, it, it deserves. It deserves to be up there. Oh, certainly. And, I mean, beyond that, we're looking at probably the first four-fight saga in UFC history, which is an accomplishment in its own. I think... My biggest takeaway is they did not have a boring fight. Sometimes in these trilogies, you get one that's not quite there. Now, obviously, you know, the first one was a fight of the year situation. The second one, you got to finish. The third one, not so much. But you're not going to have fight of the year three times out. And that third fight was still damn good. I think you owe a lot. I think they deserve a lot of credit for not only the quality across three fights. uh, The fact that they're 1-1-1 and now is super unusual. Um, the fact that you have to give them a lot of, you have to uh, applaud them for bringing back this flyweight division. In that sense, I think there's actually a lot of value historically when we look back on it. But I agree. I don't know if there's some, for some reason, it doesn't emotionally connect with me the way, you know, let's say Stipe Cormier did. I don't know why that is. Maybe because the results were so emphatic, you know, you didn't have the draw in there, you had 
very clear, decisive knockouts. But I, I think this saga is only going to age better with time. Yeah, I think this has that... I mean, the comparison might be in boxing, the, the, which you won't get, and I respect that. The great uh, Israel uh, Vasquez against uh, Rafael Marquez trilogy, which became four fights. In the fourth fight, they were they were both washed, and it was unnecessary. But the, that three, it just like... You watch them, and you go, oh, my God, this is among the best trilogies of all time. But yet, sometimes... It, that that mat that matchup doesn't make it in the conversation when people are talking about it casually, you know. And it's just like uh, this will be pushed off a little bit. But look, hey, the fourth fight could change it completely. I mean, I mean, I thought you know Pacquiao Marquez once they got to a fourth fight and did that, it's like you can, it's hard. It's really when you get four fights between two guys and all four fights are great and all four fights were for you know contested for things that mattered on the title level. Bro, let me it's ask you gonna, a question. Dude, seriously, if the fourth fight is great, this will be a top three rivalry all time. It would have to be. I, I think the fact that we're going one, one, and one into a fourth on its own has that merit. It's so unique. It's so unusually competitive. I, I want to ask you very quickly, what is your favorite kind of fight? Like, um, I'll give you mine just to set it up. I love a fourth or a fifth round finish in a title fight. I don't. I don't like that quick first round knockout. You don't get the drama. I want to see a long fight. I want it to be competitive, but I don't want a decision. No one likes a decision. Um, fourth, fourth, fifth round TKO. Give me that every time. I mean, that's a great, that's a great fight. That's a great fight. I always prefer the high speed chess. I always prefer the the technical thriller that has big pockets of action. Right? Is like, he Gastelum? Well, that yeah, that's that, but ever. that's that, but even that's got everything. That's an action movie. That fight. I mean, that fight's. God, I love that fight, right? Fight I mean, ever. come on. Best fight I've ever seen. You were cage side, right? Yeah, and it's just, like, I'm always going to take that to the grave when, when they write. You know, <laughs> at, boxing broadcaster, MMA journalist. Oh, yeah, he sat cage side at, um, at, uh, at a Sonic guy. So, yeah, the beauty of doing, uh, being pressed at these UFC events is, for you all the time, for me, sometimes you get to sit cage side for the fights. They make it very clear. It's like, hey, guys, be impartial. Don't don't cheer. You're there to, you're there yeah, to don't work. don't cheer. Yeah. But I'll be honest, the first time I went, the first time I saw like a UFC fighter get hit up close and how loud that thud is, I'd be lying if I didn't go, oh, and then I'm immediately shutting down, like, <laughs> looking each way, making sure I'm not getting kicked out. It's hard uh, sometimes, man. It's, no, it's, I, it's I get what you're saying. You got to bite down on your natural instincts. You can't be like Luke Thomas and, you know, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, you know people know that, you know, if you know, you know, you know, oh my God, he stopped him. Yeah. All right. Um, but there have been, obviously, because if you love this job in this sport this much and you're blessed enough to be down there and can you know tell these romanticized stories of mythological proportion and how what it felt like, um, the, the best moments are when you sort of involuntarily be like, oh, my God, you know, and you look over at the guy next to you and you're like, are we, are we experiencing this together? Are you are you as high as I am? Has it hit you yet? You know, I mean, it's a lot probably like you when you go to those um, EMD raves or, you know. GHP raves or whatever. Next whatever. Friday, see you guys at Thunderdome. Oh wow! Oh, wow. Speaking of which, I'll have, so... have to buy a new phone, man. This is, this is, yeah, this is, we live such cameras. different lives, Usually. Jack. All right, to close here from at J underscore. <laughs> Once upon a time. Costa. Once upon a time, Brian. <laughs> from J Costa with an extra A. When is the BC or Luke Thomas barfing after shooting pregame review mm. NFT coming out? Okay, that would have to be the NFT that would get me to have to. Do, know what one is and look. Do we into have footage of this? No, we don't. And I wonder this. Okay, and but by the way, I mean, 
Is it on brand for us old ass yes. farts to have a moment like that? It is, but it's embarrassing nonetheless. So if anyone forgot the first pregame preview on the rooftop yeah. with Chuck Mindenhall, we did go hard. You know, we bought a bunch of mixed drinks or, or beer or whatever we had. And uh, we went after it. I drank a lot in that one hour of filming. Um, I drank so much that, you know, some people were like, maybe you shouldn't say the word bitch so often, <laughs> you know, and I get that. It's all fun it's and a games. It's little faux pas in 2021. Although that episode, it did have the, it had, the, the, it had the magic. It had the special sauce. But um, had the cameras still rolling as Luke takes off the microphone, walks in, turns, and then vomits into the into the public sink, while mine at least was three, you know, two and a half hours later, at a Mexican restaurant um, after just sort of eating a burrito and just not feeling it and, you know, um, just having that, oh, crap, moment. If if that had if the camera had captured Luke, while we are talking huge, you know, doc, you know, MK documentary um, must-see value, that might be that discussion behind the scenes where we go, you know, we can't is show the, this. Is there we a subscriber goal that would have, like, you know, get 500K? Are you are you in, are you intending that we should consider creating an MK OnlyFans just for moments like that? I was actually thinking this whole time: has anyone made an MK drinking game? Because there there are enough tropes on this show without a doubt to do that in a heartbeat. Yeah, Luke's you know glass glasses updating. Yeah. How how often pooping post show? Yeah. What is that move called when Luke every you know forty five seconds is like? It's it's the one hand too, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, that's it for DMs from Donks. Thank you to our fine Donks out there. Please, folks, uh, like this video. Subscribe to this channel here at Morning Combat. Uh, there's there's Shaq Majori right there, a, a partner in this walk for CBS Sports, and uh, we much appreciate you filling in for the vacationing Luke Thomas today. But it's three live shows, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Get on get on board with the revolution here at MK. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Morningcombat.store is where you can find our merch. Uh, Luke's going to be back next week. I, I'm not sure exactly which day. Um so stay tuned but Luke's going to be back next week uh, 30 days free of Showtime Bellator this Saturday night don't miss it Shaq where can we uh, you want to shout anything out where can we yeah, keep yeah. following well, you like I said I got Luke's not throwing me in a bone so I gotta take every chance I can to shamelessly promote myself um, all my written work you can see on cbssports.com slash MMA slash WWE uh, if you want to see my MMA interviews, YouTube Shaq MMA. Uh, I have one with Yuri Prochaska right out right now. We'll have Jack Romanson next week, Ryan Bader later today. If you're a pro wrestling fan, that's the one that's actually like doing great for me right now. So you can type in Shaq Wrestling on YouTube to the four of you who care. Would love that. There's not a single MK fan who is... There, there must be one. Must yeah. Be. It's me. If, it, if it's someone else, it's me. Brian, uh, Brian, you've been spending too much time with Luke, man. I knew you had that fire once upon a time. Don't let it go out. Don't I let needed it go to out. get lit again, and it was, you know, I had that chance to sit. I think it was second row at AEW in uh, in Newark, and then I gave up my ticket at the last minute. And you know, I just been, I've been drifting. That's a butterfly effect moment, man. That could have set you on a whole new course in life. Well, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe I'm free right now, and I just don't know it. You know what I mean? Shaq under underscore foo. Shaq the K underscore F U on Twitter. Help me. Did, I, I've got a friend in esports who laughs about having more followers than me, so help me. Help me kick his ass. All right. Uh, please buy, buy Shaq's love with following him. And uh, Shaq, did you get heckled as a child for your Shaquille O'Neal-like name? Maybe Shazam? Yeah, or? so... Uh, oh, actually, so Ryan Bader and I were um, bonding over the... So he picked Darth Bader because the alternative would have been Master Bader, yes. which has been haunting him since childhood. I got Shaquif in high school. 
So uh, that's the one oh, that keeps me up at oh, night. Oh, wow, bro. That's rough. That's <laughs> rough. That's rough. Yeah. Yeah. I, wow. Okay. <laughs> I consider counseling after that. Yeah. I mean, I'm in this, it. This I'm is my it. therapy, DC. This yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you, Shaq. Thank you to the great staff, uh, Manich. Gaff, we got to see Gaff's mug the other day. I love Gaff. I love these guys. I want them on the show more often. I'll J Aaron your ass if you turn on me, Corey Manich. All right, believe that. I'm kidding. Uh, thanks to the folks, uh, all the labels that pay me, and thank you to the fans, um, the viewers, the listeners, whatever, whatever you call yourselves, the P1 donks out there. Thank you for making this job so fun. We'll see you next time. Uh, may all your ex girlfriends still not look too 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 uh cougarish right not look too thick right uh i don't know where we're going we out we out